certainly in the early stages, um, you know, there are, you know, there is such a breadth of technology resources, individuals, and venture capital. Hello, welcome to episode 45 of the MedTech Podcast. You join me, your host, Karandeep Singh Badwell. Under this episode, I have Phil Wagner, an innovator in the field of movement health and founder of Sparta Science. In this episode, Phil discusses the potential of machine learning and artificial intelligence to advance healthcare, alongside his vision for the future of movement health and Sparta Science role within it. He also provides valuable insights for aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the industry and discusses notable collaborations his company has had with other healthcare organizations. Finally, then Phil goes on to share ongoing research and development projects at Sparta Science and how they may impact the future of healthcare. Tune in for a fascinating conversation with a thought leader in the world of movement health and technology. Welcome to the show, Phil. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure having you on. So as an innovator in the field of movement health, what excites you the most about the potential of machine learning and artificial intelligence to advance healthcare in the next coming years? Yeah, I think the exciting piece is, you know, we have the ability to capture so much more information and techniques like machine learning will just allow to analyze all that different information into more consumable insights. And one of the exciting things around movement is how global the impact that movement have on a host of different conditions not just your typical aches and pains, but so much research coming out around improving mental health, and, you know, obviously obesity and cardiovascular disease. So the, you know, the, the global impact of movement and the ability to improve that is such a large opportunity. And one of the, the areas we see the most that can be improved is how do you quickly measure the health of your movement, much like a vital sign. So on the topic of musculoskeletal injuries, with the rising awareness of this uh, type of injury out there, especially with the boom of the internet and social media, and especially athletes now being more educated on this, what steps do you believe that people can perhaps start taking to mitigate those risks? Yeah, the, I think the first part to mitigate musculoskeletal risk is understanding you know, what the current state is of your movement. And, and really objectively understanding that because, you know, positively or negatively, social media, you know, is always suggesting the best way to move, the best way to eat. And there's, you know, some of these tactics can be extremely helpful for an individual, whereas others can actually um, cause more dysfunction, right? And so the idea is if you can better understand how you move objectively, then you can better understand which types of movements and exercises can be most impactful. So as a whole, bringing this concept of precision medicine or even pharmaceuticals to the area of exercise, right? How do we understand what's the right dose, how often, how much, those types of things. And providing that type of prescriptive approach, not only we think can improve the compliance of individuals moving more, but ultimately have a greater impact in how much benefit they get from that movement. 
So how early on can people start monitoring any potential for risks of musculoskeletal injuries or maybe catch on to it before the problem becomes more serious? You know, is this something that somebody has to be of a certain age of or can it go as far back as children? Yeah, we, we currently, our technology is currently used by everybody from pediatrics to, you know, seniors in senior living facilities. So movement really impacts every age, uh, which is interesting. Um, you know, a lot of the increases in athletic injuries are believed to be due to early specialization in a sport, as an example. Um, and then as we age, um, injuries or other things come up in our lives that start to limit our mobility, which then as a result, you know, starts to jeopardize the way we move or other health conditions come about, which therefore, you know, it's this cyclical process of as we stop moving more, it creates more obstacles to move more, right? And we go round and round. So it really applies to any age. What changes is, you know, the risk of, you know, poor movement health is just different. So following on from that, what inspired you to start Sparta Science and what challenges did you face bringing that vision to life in the early days? Yeah, so I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, what drove me to start Sparta is some sort of pain, right? And, and for, my, for me, it was both a psychological as well as a physical pain. I was injured quite a bit as an athlete and really, despite very strong efforts in rehab and prevention, continued to get injured. And so really wanted to provide something that could be an objective marker for this injury risk, for this rehab process, and really empower organizations and practitioners to have information that can validate you know, their diagnoses and validate some of the interventions they're doing. Um, you know, certainly there are obstacles anytime you want to bring innovation or change uh, to, a, to a certain area. Uh, healthcare might be one of the hardest areas to innovate in, um, you know, mostly because there's there's so many regulations and um, you know layers of an organization within healthcare. So the challenges are often engaging all the different stakeholders and getting them aligned around a, a, a common goal. You know, and it's it's you know you've got executives within a healthcare organization, you've got practitioners. You've got obviously patients, but then you've got payers on the insurance side. So there's all these stakeholders and really to make impactful change, all these different stakeholders have to be aligned in a way that, um, you know, support each other and whatever sort of innovation is being brought to the market. So going back to your educational background uh, when you went to medical school, did they ever teach you about prevention of injuries or would you say they were always teaching you how to treat the condition after it happened? Yeah, I think in Western medicine, uh, you know, prevention is not really at the top of the list of priorities. You know, I think um, Western medicine is is phenomenal at specialized, reactive um, types of approaches. You know, trauma surgery and things of that nature is just fantastic. I think, you know, there's there's very few pockets where preventative care is is a high priority i mean certainly there's organizations like kaiser that are you know leading that you know leading that value-based care initiative and i think the u.s health system as a whole is moving that direction um, and as that happens there'll be a much greater inf influence of uh, 
and, and focus on that preventative care. But, you know, at least when I went through medical school, which is, yeah, about 20 years ago, there wasn't a big emphasis on how do we actually get in front of these things that could happen. And there's, there's good breadcrumbs, if you will, that exist. You know, I think the U.S. health system and the world in general has done a great job with diabetes. And a big part of that is creating, using data buckets that are based preventatively. You know, there's this concept of pre-diabetes that was never there, you know, 20 years ago. And so that's a great kind of model for other conditions to start being aware of. How do we create more of those buckets, you know, in our case around movement health? So coming out of university as a doctor and then going into healthcare, at what point did you decide that entrepreneurship was the path for you? Is it when you spotted the problem and you just saw that there was a gap in the market? You know, how did that decision process go to leave behind effectively what's known as the comforts of a full-time role, especially as a doctor? You know, you can quite easily find employment in that to then take the risk and start your own business. Yeah, I think, you know, I've always been passionate about, you know, what we're doing and about movement and went into medical school and medical training with that goal of really trying to identify and prevent, you know, injuries and movement related disorders. As I started going through medical school, I was fortunate enough to have a mentor, another physician who said, you know, Phil, you're going to be able to change the system a lot better from the outside than you are from within. And that was a very big driver for me of, you know, really starting Sparta Science and our company with this idea of, you know, how do we help change healthcare from the outside using research, using data, using technology. So in terms of the name Sparta Science, did that come from Greek origins or does it have a different meaning altogether? Yeah, that's a good question. And we don't get asked it very often. The assumption is it comes from, you know, the, the Greek society. But, you know, for us, or at least for me, it, it came from the term Spartan. Um, more based around this idea of simplicity and that the most successful technologies are often invisible or seamless uh, and which is important in healthcare because the workflow is often so tight and complicated that you really want to be able to fit into that workflow in a seamless almost invisible way and in order for that to happen it has to be very simple and so Spartan Sparta science comes from just that term of being Spartan. So going back to the topic of artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, I often have conversations with physicians that are perhaps scared that, you know, this may take their job away, but I often disagree with them and say, no, these are merely assistance tools. You know, it's not like what you see in the movies. And being as someone has been on both ends of it from someone who's gone to medical school and is now creating a product, which is sort of AI machine learning assisted. What would you say to these physicians about what AI and machine learning is going to be doing to their jobs over the next few years? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think the, the value of, of, and I agree that AI and machine learning is not going to replace practitioners. Um, you know, really what, what it's going to do is change that role. But the change is going to be more for the positive in that sometimes as practitioners, we're trained in our ability to do assessments and you know that those types of things there's so much complexity in the human human body that with all that complexity 
assessments are much better handled with large data sets and mining those data sets to find with all the human variability what what the likely condition is and by freeing the practitioner up and allowing technology to do that you know you allow the practitioner to spend more time in supporting the patient with the plan of care um, and so that allows them to be there for not only interpreting machine learning results, but also relaying that information and educating the patient, which hopefully will lead to better outcomes. So a question I've got for you is, what is your view on the placebo effect in terms of recovery? Uh, often you come across stories and being that you've worked with athletes, you know, where they say to the athlete, hey, you know, you're never going to play this sport again, or you're never going to be out there on the field. And before you know it, within with the right sort of therapy, two to three years later, they're actually out on the field, despite what people told them because they always had it in their mind that they were going to recover. Have you ever seen such miraculous recoveries in the musculoskeletal space? Yeah, the placebo in the human condition is, is, a, is a massive component and it, and it makes research and technology you know, challenging in some ways um, to really be able to decipher how much of it the impact is real versus placebo. Um, on the flip side, you know, if it works, even if it's placebo, you know, I think there's, there's, there's value in it, obviously. You know, if we just stay focused on patient health as the outcome. And one of the values of digital health is the awareness piece in and of itself can cause change. And so if there's a number, even, I mean, sleep for the most part, sleep tracking devices tell people how much you sleep. Most people, through addition and subtraction, can figure that out. You know, they can figure out, okay, if I went to bed at 10 and I got up at 6, I've got 7 to 8 hours of sleep. So the wearable, you know, helps kind of display and track over time what those sleep scores are. And as a way, you know, creates awareness for the patient to hopefully change and maintain better habits. So... In terms of what you see in the future of healthcare, do you think that there's going to be a lot more data analysis and a lot more sort of diagnosis being happening at the home and every single day rather than something that happens at a physician's office, let's say at an appointment? Yeah, I think that's happening more and more as, you know, the healthcare realizes that, you know, inpatient and health systems really are best reserved for more urgent needs, surgeries, uh, life-threatening conditions. And so as a result, we're already seeing this movement of health in the home. And I think that, you know, opens up, you know, the ecosystem really to be more inclusive of data sources and the need for data platforms. And those allow practitioners to better track and treat patients, you know, because they'll be able to, you know, have access to information not so infrequently as a once a year physical. And so I think that's an incredible opportunity for education of the patient, but also for better outcomes and the practitioner uh, is able to, you know, provide more frequent updates or nudges, if you will, that can help um, the patient change their habits. Because when we talk about health, you know, health in the home really opens up an opportunity to improve what the biggest need is, and that's habits. Um, it can improve the habits of these patients, um, 
more through access to their information, hopefully on a data platform at a more frequent basis. So as someone is a CEO and a founder of a successful company such as Sparta Science, what advice would you be giving to the aspiring entrepreneurs, perhaps looking to break into a similar industry? Yeah, you know, breaking into health, healthcare is, is not easy. Um, anytime you're, you're approaching large enterprise organizations, um, there's challenges um, that are really multi-layered. And so, you know, I think, you know, moving beyond for, for aspiring entrepreneurs, you know, coming to grips with having a good product, you know, that's not enough. And that's a, a tough realization for a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs is realizing that the product, it's not, that's not the key factor a lot of times. You know, there has to be a, a sound go-to-market plan of, okay, where am I first going to target this product being used? And saying, well, everybody can use it is a common challenge, right? Because while everybody could use most products, the real question is where to focus your time and efforts when you're first starting a company. So with your location of Menlo Park, California, you are basically in the heart of where business innovation occurs, Silicon Valley. Do you feel as though the location of where you are personally and all your business has had an impact on entrepreneurship? Uh, certainly in the early stages, um, you know, there are, you know, there is such a breadth of technology resources, individuals and venture capital, you know, to really, you know, get things started and form a very strong technical foundation. You know, most of our work is within the government, um, in the military and in healthcare now, and neither of those are actually very common in the Silicon Valley where we're based. Um, a lot of the digital health hubs are in Boston and, you know, a lot of the military government work is in Washington, D.C. So, you know, I think it, it really depends. Certainly there's a technology uh, epicenter here in the Silicon Valley, but the other piece is the markets you go into um, could be helped by different geographies as well. So in terms of musculoskeletal injuries, where are you mainly seeing this in the US? Is it areas where sports are perhaps more popular than others, you know, such as Pennsylvania? Or would you say that this is a widespread problem all over the US? Yeah, I think musculoskeletal injuries, you know, is, is a widespread, you know, epidemic. I mean, they're happening everywhere and more often. You know, the, the difference is, you know, between populations is more where those musculoskeletal injuries are. You know, you see hamstring injuries, ACLs more in athletes, but a lot of times in occupational health, you'll see low back pain and injuries from lifting or turning. Um, and on the flip side, you know, there's an increased risk for people that are more sedentary, right? So the less you move, a lot of times the more likely you are to be injured when you do move, right? So I think there's a breadth of risk around the musculoskeletal space, it really depends on the activities or the lack thereof that the individual's engaged in. So what other applications are there for this technology that you currently have? Are you looking at veterinary applications or is that not something that you've explored for this moment in time? Yeah, it's a good question. We actually have been approached a couple times by um, horse racing groups. You know, again, you know, really 
a lot of times innovation is driven by urgency and sports, whether it's uh, humans or horses, um, they're, they have the highest urgency to win. Um, and there's a short window for them to win. So a lot of times, you know, that, that drives innovation and that's the only kind of veterinary, you know, interest we've had, you know, most of the initial growth was in musculoskeletal, you know, and our future kind of growth is happening in the falls with seniors, but also in the neurological space. Um, some of these issues, Parkinson's or, or vestibular disorders, they're increasing um, as people are living longer. And so how can we better be on the preventative side in identifying some of those neurological issues? So would you be able to discuss any notable collaborations that Sparta Science has had with other companies or healthcare organizations? And how exactly did these collaborations, you know, make an impact in the industry? Yeah, you know, some of the health systems we work with, um, like Orlando Healthcare, they, you know, they've really been, you know, focused on how can they better track the rehab process um, to really engage the community. You know, because so much of, of healthcare is about capturing new patients and how do we use technology to create awareness, you know, before in the community, before injuries happen. So if and when they do happen, they're aware that Orlando Health, you know, has, you know, has certain areas that, you know, have their movement history already in place, which makes the treatment rehab process, um, much more connected. You know, on the flip side, you know, we work a lot with outpatient physical therapy clinics like Upstream Rehab. And a lot of their goal is how do they standardize rehab across different locations with all these different um, physical therapy clinics? How can they better standardize rehabilitation and identify which conditions they can better optimize, whether it's low back versus ACL? and continue to improve using data, how they can maintain, retain patients for longer periods of their engagement. So an interesting point that you touched on earlier was, you know, elderly care, elderly people suffering with falls. Are you finding some rejection from that community when it comes to this type of technology? Or is they feel as though they're being monitored or maybe, you know, people looking at them when they shouldn't be looking at them or anything like that? Are you finding there's a bit of rejection there? Yeah, there's, there's always, you know, technology can always be viewed as half empty, half full, you know, and, um, you know, there's always the fear that some technology is going to, you know, condemn or judge your current state. And we first encounter that in sports, you know, if you're up for a, a major contract, you know, athletes are hesitant to be assessed because it might jeopardize that, that future contract. Um, and, on the elderly side, folks are, you know, occasionally hesitant to be assessed on their fall risk uh, because they don't want to be sent to a home or go through some more intensive testing. And, you know, the, the idea is, is really on either case, the messaging and that if the technology is serving to prevent and enhance their opportunities uh, for their quality of life, if it's presented in that manner, it really should be a win-win. And, you know, most, you know, one of the largest predictors of falls is actually the fear of falling. 
So the hope is that providing technology that assesses fall risk, we can then actually empower the elderly person to be more active and focus on things that will make them less fearful of falling and more active. So going back to your days as an athlete and going to medical school and what you've learned over the years about musculoskeletal injuries and this industry as a whole, what would you say are the common misconception or perhaps the lesser known things when it comes to these types of injury or this type of sector? Yeah, I think it's a lot of times there's assumptions around the cause of why injuries happen. And most musculoskeletal injuries have different causes and it's never one thing. You know, I remember like when ACL's research first came out, it started talking about, well, females tear their hamstrings or tear their ACLs because they have weak hamstrings. And then after that, more research came out and said, well, actually, you know, females tear their ACL because, you know, their, their quads are weaker. And then it came out and said, well, actually, they tear their ACLs because their trunk position is not is is too upright or not upright enough. And really, the answer is that it can be D, all of the above. And so the key to technology is identifying for each individual what risk they have and what is leading to that risk. So that way, a more individualized approach can happen, because oftentimes we assume that any sort of risk or injury is caused by one thing, no matter who it is. Or if you do this one exercise, it will prevent that injury, no matter who it is. But that's often not the case. So being a CEO and a founder is a, it's like having two full jobs, let's face it, full-time jobs. But in the bit spoiler of time that you have, what do you get up to outside of work? Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, CEO, founder, and husband, dad, pretty much knocks out about 99% of my time. Um, so most of my free time is spent with, with family. Um, and, and, and the time that I have just to myself is actually enjoying being active, um, whether that's skiing or surfing. We live in an area that's thankfully in California here, close to both the surf and the snow. So, you know, those are both two activities that, that I enjoy you know, mostly because they they require a presence um, and and really awareness of the moment and an interaction with you know the outside environment. Um, neither of which are, are very conducive to having a cell phone on you or a computer nearby. Um, so it's a great way to to disconnect and and really be around nature. Being that you've worked with athletes and also played rugby yourself, is that a sport that you still follow and enjoy watching? You know, I, I, I don't watch uh, very much sports uh, anymore. I think, um, you know, a, a lot of it is, you know, knowing, yeah, knowing kind of how the sausage or hot dogs are made makes it difficult to, to eat them sometimes. So I, I tend to not watch sports and, and I've always enjoyed being part of it more than I have a spectator. Um, that being said, I, I do where there's coaches or players I know, those tend to be the games that I do tune into. Um, but even then it's painful because, yeah, sometimes it's, yeah, watching friends or colleagues not succeed when I believe they should, um, it's tough. So it's, it's more painful than enjoyable 
for me to watch sports at this point. So Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. What one piece of advice would you be leaving the listeners with today? Yeah, I think the biggest uh, piece of advice is just recognizing, you know, the impact of activity on the quality of your life. Um, Whether it's, you know, wanting to be active in certain activities that you pursue, you know, that are impromptu or, you know, being able to think better cognitively at your job or other areas or just having a better disposition from a mental health benefit. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's just recognizing for yourself as well as for others the impact that movement has and should really be a central part of how you look at your day, your week, and ensuring that that movement is a, a really critical piece that's a foundation for your life. Thank you very much for your time, Phil. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 45 of the MedTech Podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe. If you wish to learn more about Phil, you can connect with him on LinkedIn or visit his company website, the links of which are provided in the description. If there are any particular topics or guests you'd like for me to have on the show in future, then feel free to reach out.